Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Guide Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Serlo, and I am elated to bring you a wonderful conversation with my friend Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky, host of The Butcher Shop on 95.7 The Game here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And on top of being just one of the most fantastic and knowledgeable sports fans slash radio hosts here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Joe is also a passionate golfer guy lives eats drinks golf i mean he's out there several days a week and you know given the fact that uh, harding park is his home course i thought this would be a fantastic opportunity to pick joe's brain about all things san francisco golf and harding park uh leading up to this year's pga championship so a wonderful podcast coming to you guys and that conversation is of course uh brought to you guys by the good folks at golfguide.net a wonderful place to learn information about every golf course on the west coast and also a good place to save a couple bucks on your next green fee go to golfguide.net and click on the greens deals or i guess the golf deals tab and check out what they've got and we are also brought to you by the sea winds estate the oregon coast's preeminent vacation rental if you and your buddies have a golf trip planned to the oregon coast any point in the next uh, year or two i would very much encourage you guys to go check out seawindsestate.com and uh, see if it is a fit for you guys host up 16 20 24 people in this huge 7,000 square foot house that hangs over the cliffs of the pacific ocean it's uh not a bad setup so check out seawindsestate.com and with that let's get to our conversation with joe shasky i do have to apologize um for the sound quality on my end in this podcast um was having some technical difficulties usually i record these things through skype but uh given that the entire world is using zoom now of course skype was uh you know farting on itself a little bit and couldn't quite get itself together so uh we had to audible we did this thing on zoom i thought i was recording through my microphone but it looks like it may have been recording through my computer's audio so the sound quality is not as good as i would hope for but Luckily, the conversation is still really good, and I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. So without any further delay, let's get to Joe Shasky here on the Golf Guide Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a very special guest for you all today, a, a friend of mine who has been on this podcast before, although it has been, admittedly, far too long since I've had the Butcher Boy on the podcast. He is the host of The Butcher Shop on 95.7 FM in the Bay Area. His name is Joe Shasky, and Joe, it is a goddamn pleasure to have you back, my friend. Oh, my goodness. I feel like we've been playing phone tag for months. We've been trying to get on the golf course together. We just missed each other at Bodega the other day, but uh, I'm glad we're doing this because Harding Park is a place that I hold very dear to my heart, and I've heard a lot of people bashing it, and we'll get to all of that, but it's more than just the architecture. It's more than just the course itself. It's the sense of community, and I'm here to rep for it. I mean that sincerely. I love it, man. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like I, I – I can imagine that in the next week or so. So just to give everybody like a little heads up, we're recording this on Tuesday, the week before the PGA Championship. So between now and the start of the year's first major championship, we still have another tournament to play. I believe the WGC tournament down yeah. in Memphis is going to be starting here in a few days. So there is still another PGA Tour winner that is going to need to be crowned between now and when the time the tournament starts next week. So I, I mean, we'll, we'll get lost in the weeds in terms of like, picking <laughs> players and stuff like that at some point. But 
I mean, the one thing I wanted to make sure is when I have access to you, Joe, and as a Bay Area native myself, you, you know, the king of the San Francisco sports fans, and, you know, obviously a, a very passionate golfer yourself. I mean, I want to learn everything I can about like the city, the city's yeah. golf scene, Harding Park. I mean, you know, it, it's just such a damn shame that there's not going to be fans. I mean, given, you know, granted, totally. it's the responsible thing to do. I mean, given what's going on in the country right now, it's crazy to think of, you know, holding a sport of, sporting event with 20, 30, 40,000 people walking around. But dude, this is the first PGA championship on the West Coast, on the West Coast, not even in California, on the West Coast since 1998, since they had it at Sahali up in wow. Washington. And wow. it's only the fourth time ever that a PGA championship has been contested on a municipal golf course. And so the, the golf, the Bay Area is filled with some of the best sports fans and especially some of the most passionate golf fans that I know. And it just, I mean, I, I start, you know, I, I hate starting this thing off on, on a sour note, but man, it's just such a bummer that they're going to be deprived because this would have, in my opinion, been one of the most crazy and fun major championships that we've had in a long time. Yeah, you're 100% right. I go out to the swinging skirts at Lake Merced, which is like every year. At least mm -hmm. it's been uh, at Lake Merced the last couple of years. I go down to Pebble for the Pro-Am, taking my wife down there. Went to the U.S. Open last year. Obviously been to the Olympic Club for a U.S. Open in, uh, in 2012 and in 1998 when I was in high school. I was, parking, I was parking cars at Harding Park where people were parking to walk over and, and van over to the Olympic Club. So, you know, it, this, this area loves its golf. And I, I just – it's really, it's a stinger. I mean, it really is a stinger that we can't go out there and walk with everyone. We know there's a bigger issue going on right now, but this is a great sporting town. When the Warriors were garbage before they were even great, they would pack that bad boy in Oakland left and right. Uh, when the Niners stunk, we still got 45, 50,000 to go out there to see a two and 14 team. When the Giants have been stinking it up the last few years, the lunatic fringe is still there dialing us up at KMBR and, and, and the place I work 95, seven, the game, because we're sports lunatics on this on this side of the of the world, so it just sucks because this is one of the greatest golfing spots in the world. Like it really, truly is. And Harding is one of the very few spots that all of us diehard golfers, I call the Muni Circuit golfers, can actually go and play. So many courses that these guys come to when they actually come out this way. When it comes to the pro circuit, I never will have an opportunity to tee it up there. So this was just something very, very unique and. Harding means more than just the professional tour stopping by once in a blue moon and having a tournament. It is a fabric of the community. I live literally right down the street. So I'm, I'm, I'm really sad, but you know what? I'm just happy we get to have the tournament anyway. Yeah. Likewise. So I, I guess that, that, that'll jump to my first thing. So I, I think it's safe to say had fans been there, like, I, I don't know if it would have been, you know, Beth page level amounts of like heckling or it would have been like the Ryder cup where guys are, you know, getting, you know, that, that, that kind of like intense, almost sort of in-your-face type atmosphere. But I don't think it's a stretch at all to say it would have been wild and it would have been fun and it would have been loud out there. Um, I mean, do you think without the fans there, I mean, what, what's your first read in terms of how you think this is going to affect, like, I, I, let's start with the, the viewing experience. Since we can't mm -hmm. be there to watch it in person, I mean, with the last couple of weeks, you've been watching golf on TV. Give, give them, you know, what you've seen so far with the events without any fans. What? What's your read on how that's going to affect the tournament 
specifically at Harding Park, when you yeah. compare it to what it would have been like out there? Yeah, well, one thing on the broadcast side, if you're a local fan, I mean, Dave Fleming's going to be on the broadcast for ESPN. Right? We had him on the show just last week, and he was super ecstatic about him being able, and he does a great job with ESPN football, basketball, obviously the voice of the San Francisco Giants. I mean, to me, he's, he's just a rung below Mike Tirico as far as all-purpose. The guy is just class at everything he does, and he's 43 years old. I mean, he's, he's barely scratching the surface. So he's going to be on the broadcast. I think that's going to be absolutely awesome. And then I think they're going to be able to use a lot of the drone footage that we saw at Harbortown, where Harbortown, I never got a good sense for what that course was because you got to walk a course to understand the angulation and the topography and, and how it fits into the landscape. When I was seeing those drone footages on Sunday afternoon with the, with the sunset coming down, it was spectacular. I said to myself, just wait till they show Lake Merced with Olympic Club in the background and all the houses on the hills and everything in the, in, in the foreground. It, it, it's going to present really well. Ocean Beach just right over the hill. I'm really excited for that aspect. I, I really, really am. I think the broadcast itself is going to be cool. It just stings because I went down to Pebble last year for the U.S. Open. We were lucky enough to have it. And I watched – for the first time in my adult life, if you will, the Tiger Woods Gallery. Because 2015, they came up here for Harding Park. Rory ended up winning the WGC. There was no Tiger at that event. It stunk. It, it just it wasn't the same. The last time Tiger played up this way, 2012, the, uh, the U.S. Open, I didn't follow him that day. And then 2009, President's Cup at Harding. I just wanted my dad and brother and I to experience one more Tiger Gallery because I swear to God, it was 75 deep at the U.S. Open. And the way Pebble is, it's just so hard to follow him. And I thought that because Harding was much more open and you don't have houses, you know, kind of going in between right. the fairways and, and you don't have car streets and things like that, you would have been able to follow Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and all those guys really well. And then just from like a, a demographic standpoint out here, you have a large, large Irish American contingent out here that absolutely loves um, what's his face, Roy McElroy. I mean, he is a god out here. I cannot explain it enough. First tee, he's one of the superstars of the first tee, and the first tee, in my eyes, really grew at Harding Park, right? So it's right. a perfect synergy right then and there. And then on top of all of that, you have a huge Asian American influx where they love golf out here. Whether it's Hideki or any of the other uh, overseas superstars that have been coming over here, I just think it would have been a great example of why golf is worldwide and why a world-class city like San Francisco would be the perfect venue to have a municipal championship contested here in the heart of San Francisco. I know, man. It, it, it's, I get it. I, I'm trying to get super excited about this golf tournament while also simultaneously like not getting bummed out about how much like a lot of these golf fans are going to be missing out because it's just uh, it's it's like it's so well deserved for the Bay Area sports fan yes. because like one of the and that's things like you mentioned that in 1998 when they had the U.S. Open at, uh, at at Olympic Club, they used Harding Park as a parking lot. I like know. The, 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 that, at that point, Harding Park had not been redone yet. It was you know what I from what I've read, a lot of locals were calling it like it just had kind of turned into a dog track that just had to kind of let it go. The greens were you know sprouting you know all kinds of different grasses out of. I mean, it just it was a mess, and it goes from a parking lot. A couple years later, it gets an influx of cash, you know, spearheaded by former USGA president and local Sandy Tatum. It gets redone 2003. It opens back up as this kind of like, wow, this is what a muni can be. And yeah. uh, I mean, sh I, I know it has been on the stage, as you mentioned, like the 2005 um, it was a WGC in 2005 where 2015, 2005 was Daly versus Tiger Woods. And I believe Daly missed a putt on 18. Bro, I rewatched it last of my week. Head. I rewatched the final, the final hole last week. And I forgot how short 
that putt was that John Daly made. Unreal. Blow it. I was like, man. And that, I, I think that, in a, in a sense, that was almost Daly's kind of like last hurrah, like where he was right yep. at the top fighting for like a big, huge per- – it's just – it's crazy to think that he missed that putt. But it, that's what's crazy is like for how, for how bad a shape Harding Park was in just 20 years ago, for it now to be hosting a major championship on the heels of hosting multiple WGCs, a President's Cup. I mean, it's hosted mm-hmm. three Charles Schwab Cup championships. I mean, it's crazy how much action Harding Park is getting. And yet, for some reason, as a major championship, this one was going to be extra special and yeah. different. And uh, it, it's, it's a little wild. But, um, you know, in the, in the San Francisco golf scene, where does Harding Park stack up against all the other, you know, courses in San Francisco? Because, I mean – you play a lot of golf. You're a San Francisco native. I mean, I'm sure you're probably playing every golf course, you know, every public golf course in San Francisco, you know, numerous times every year. I mean, mm-hmm. from a local standpoint, how do the locals view Harding Park as opposed to some of the other golfing options around San Francisco? Well, you know, I, and this is one of the things that kind of troubles me. I mean, I love Andy Johnson with the fried egg, but he's just been slandering Harding Park. And it's – I just don't think he understands what the demographic is in San Francisco. So I grew up from a very modern uh, – modest family, excuse me, where we didn't have a whole lot of money. We weren't part of a country club. In fact, no one I know who is a diehard golfer outside of a couple of my buddies whose grandparents paid for them to be in a country club are country club members. It's – there's the haves and then there's the have-nots and there's no middle class in San Francisco. So a place like Harding Park exclusively exists in this weird vortex where you get a combination of Olympic club overflow, as I like to call it, all the, the ritzy overflow club guys who couldn't get a tea time for whatever reason and want to go play. We'll go play the Muni Harding park. And, and then you get all the guys like me where to us, it's our gem. And, and then to my, to my, like nephews and nieces who are all in the first team program. It means so much more like to be a kid under the age of 18 and to play golf on a world-class facility for $2 and 50 cents on Fleming and $5 for Harding in the afternoons. That's unheard of. They did not have that when I was a child. When I was a kid, we grew up in, in the Excelsior, and we grew up right near Glen Eagles. So we would play Glen Eagles. We'd play Lincoln. We'd play Harding. And they were all dumps, just straight-up dumps. That's what they were. Played Golden Gate, which was a pitch and putt here in the city. And it was cheap, and it was easy to get on. And I would have one or two clubs because I played baseball and basketball and soccer and other sports. I wasn't really into golf, but my dad's a big-time golfer. My dad and my grandfather, my great-grandfather. We actually found pictures of my great-grandfather in the 1930s at the clubhouse at Harding. I posted it on Instagram. It's pretty so darn awesome. cool. Yeah, That's it's pretty awesome. darn cool. But like for them, Harding was a special place because it, it held not only the city championship, which is one of the oldest championships on the West Coast, but it also used to have the San Francisco stop on the PGA Tour throughout the 50s, 60s, and I think into the 70s. So this was a legendary spot, and you had some legendary golfers come through this way. Everyone's going to you know, obviously mention San Francisco Golf Club, and they're going to go to Cal Club, and they're going to go to the Olympic club. Very few people that I know that get to golf, get a chance to play on those courses. It's so expensive and so private and so exclusive. It honestly pains me to see how many people fly into this area, touch down, go to the Cal club or go to the Olympic club. And I'm like, dude, I've driven by 8,000 times in the last two years and I can't even get in there. So (laughs) it's frustrating, but that's, that's the part where I think Harding makes such sense to the locals because it's accessible. It's a, a, a smattering of all different ethnicities and financial backgrounds and ages and genders. And it truly represents San Francisco because it's not about being a ritzy 
fancy country club that's exclusive to only a few. And I know I'm rambling here, but just Harding means so much more than just the course and, and the architecture itself. It is more about the sense of community and what it means to generations of people. And I'll give you an example. Every single Friday, I take my grandfather before COVID-19 to Fleming. And we go out and we play nine holes at Fleming because it's perfect for him. He's 85 years old. It's nice and flat. It's challenging enough. And, and, and that we got our fix. And I go take him into the Sandy Tatum Club house i get a little lunch for him he has his margarita and he's ready to fall asleep but to me i can't picture a better golfing afternoon than playing with my grandfather on fleming and that's that to me is why it's so great i can bring my nieces i can bring my wife out there i can bring my nephew out there and there's not a lot of force carries there's not a lot of hard difficult shots everything is just right and you can jam around in an hour and a half at most if you play the fleming nine so it harding is more than just what makes up the 18 hole championship course it's everything else all the intangible stuff you can't quantify on a scorecard yeah for sure and and i'll just say like do you do you think that most uh most people who golf in the cities you know you know city resident golfers yeah they kind of refer to harding park as like the crown jewel as you do i mean do a lot of guys do you think most people would prefer to play harding as opposed to like a lincoln or i guess i guess presidio is not a city course even though it's located in the city um yeah. but yeah like a lincoln park or a glen i mean harding park is the one that hey if you got a chance to go play you know somewhere in the city let's go to harding yeah, you know, it's it's run and it's owned by the city itself. So the Park and Rec actually owns it, but it's operated by the PGA Tour. So it's got this very unique distinction. They have set it up, though, where it's so hard to get a tee time. You need to be a month, a month and a half in advance if you're a local to try to get a tee time, at least for the 18. So yeah. it's really difficult to plan out that head when you have you know friends you've got kids and you've got your family you got your work schedule it's just difficult me and my family we're like monday tuesday where are we going this saturday or sunday so stinking lincoln as we like to refer to one of the oldest courses on the <laughs> west coast is in the rotation it's cheap you bang the ball around and then you go why the heck did i spend my 25 bucks there if only they could put a little bit of money into that damn course it could be great we go to sharp park from time to time uh we, we go to glen eagles all the time i probably play there once a week because it's easy i can just walk right on nine holes and it's super challenging it teaches yeah. you how to hit different shots uh lies above your feet below your feet i mean it's 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 a shot makers type of a course presidio is sure. a kind of course it's a treat when you go to presidio you play there once every six months you spend 100 120 bucks even if you're a local and it's kind of expensive it's super wet it's a beautiful course but it's not an everyday course harding to me isn't even an everyday course fleming is though fleming yeah. is one of those little courses it's the executive nine inside the 18 that you can go play Play two three times a week and banging around and if you've got a busy lifestyle get in and out and get all your golf shots in like you're using every bag in the club on those nine holes you will not shoot your handicap trust me on that one and it's just perfect it's exactly what city golf was meant to be you walk right up it costs 25 bucks you can hit as many balls as you want no one's waiting for you it's not shot to shot it's perfect and so harding to me is just like the perfect blend of everything that you want good in a muni that really truly represents the community and benefits the community yeah all right I'm, this is where i need your honest opinion here i i love the fleming nine by the way I, I didn't i didn't get a chance to play the fleming course for the first time until maybe three or four years ago and i walked yeah. away being like holy shit how, how is that just there and like nobody talks about this one like as much mm -hmm. as this is an amazing nine hole golf course if you take the fleming nine and then you take the front nine and the back nine at harding park which there's so there's three nines total can you please rank them in terms of difficulty relative to par? So if you're out there, yeah. you know, and you're playing, you know, you're playing well, 
I mean, wh which one is the hardest one you think to get close to shooting par for any of those nine holes? Because I, I feel well, like Fleming wouldn't be at the bottom or, or, or what? No, I, no, I, it wouldn't. The back nine, the black nine at Harding starts off somewhat easy because you got a couple of par fives. One of them's a shorter one. Yeah. But that that outer rim, couple of holes. Dude. If you play it in the afternoon, it plays really long. And the way it's set up right now, you got to understand the fairways you're going to see uh, on television next week are like forty to 30% of what they normally are. Normally, yeah. the beauty of Harding is that you're not going to lose a ball. You can hit it offline to the left. You can hit it offline to the right. And you're going to probably find your ball. You might hit a cypress tree. No big deal. It falls down. They got the rough so thick and so tight for those fairways. I mean, good luck getting a wedge on a ball. I mean, it's 6 to 12 inches of rough. And I'm not – that's not hyperbole. I mean, I'm being no. dead honest. The I hit nothing but, it's gnarly, dude. Dude, gnarly. I hit nothing but four irons the other day. We went there maybe a month and a half ago was the last time I played there okay. I hit nothing before iron off the tee because the first hole you just I'm so used to hitting a nice little big cut and it rolls right into the fairway easy shot hell no man that ball was it was literally lost I can't remember the last time I lost a ball in the rough off the first tee it's like impossible out there at Harding and yet everybody seemed to be doing it so I, I think it's gonna be really difficult in my opinion the way I would phrase it it's not about which are the hardest nines I would put it this way two of the hardest holes on the entire property are on the Fleming nine. The very first hole, number one for Fleming, it's a dog leg to the left. You got to hit a perfect tee shot, a great approach shot down a narrow bowling ball shoot. And then the other one's the par five. I believe it's the fifth or sixth hole. It, it's a four. It used to be a par five. Now with the technology, it's like 440. And it's, you got to hit another perfect draw off the tee. And you got to hit it over three or four bunkers and carry it 180, 170 yards in the air and hit it onto an elevated sloped green that slopes off left and right. And the greens are no joke. Like, yes, there's some easier par fours and some easier par threes. But I do believe two of the hardest four or five holes on the entire property are on that Fleming nine. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. And if, if I'm not, uh, unless I'm incorrect, are those the only two par fours that are actually on the Fleming course? It's like seven par threes and two par so, fours? So the way it works is there's three. The the, the eighth okay. hole, the final hole, is just a straightaway 260 to 280 yard That's right. par okay. four. You just blast it down. You can use a six iron. You can use a driver. How close do you want to get? And then what kind of angle do you have? Do you want to go over the right-hand side where there's a big bunker? Even if you push it and, and poof one way to the right, you're in the first fairway of Fleming right. one. You can shoot it on up and over a tree. like that. That's one of my favorite holes because if you want to go for it, you can get a birdie. But a bogey is waiting for you if you do not hit a good second shot. Yes, sir. Yeah, man, it's uh, man, it, it's just such a treat. It's uh, I wonder with no fans being at the championship this year, you know, I wonder if they're if the Fleming Nine is still going to be basically covered in tents and other that kind of stuff. Like, I wonder if they'll have an opportunity to highlight the Fleming course while they're while they're doing the championship. It would be awesome if they could. Well, so what I my understanding is is that they have this huge chunk of fairway that they use specifically as a driving range for these types of events. So basically on that par four that I was talking about, the longest hole on that entire uh, Fleming nine, it's got this huge strip and they use that strip as a grass um, driving range because there is no grass driving range out there at TPC Harding. Right. 
It's usually you're just hitting off of mats. So they use that area, and then they use the ninth hole as a chip and putt, kind of a short game practice area because they have the ah, only okay. on that hole do they have the exact same sand that they have throughout Harding. On the rest of the holes out at Fleming, it's a different kind of a sand. It's more of this, like, this beachy, you know, clay-like sand. It's not that perfect white sand they exactly. got out of the big course. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, what's great, what's, the joke is, the running joke is when you get to the ninth hole at, Har at Fleming, excuse me, It'll be so windy and so cold and so foggy. It's only a 165-yard shot, but it plays like 240. I mean, no question. It is one of the harder shots out there, and not because it's a tricky shot. It's just super windy. Everyone thinks they can get there with their normal distance. It's like, now you got to club up at least two or three times, and you got to hit kind of a shaped shot, either right to left or left to right, depending on where the tee box is. So the, the whole course plays way trickier than people give it credit for, whereas Harding on its entire 18, you got open tee shots on just about every single hole you don't have to shape it around trees so it's just different it's very different harding's much longer but it's not more challenging yeah i i would tend to agree now i, I will say maybe it's that time when we start getting into the harding and kind of just you know picking your brain on a couple of the yeah. holes because i mean here's the thing i i think i've played harding park maybe seven or eight times since the renovation usually okay. i try to get down there and play like once a year uh because you know i obviously don't live uh, in the city anymore i haven't lived in the city since uh 2012 or no, so 2013 is when I left the city. So I did manage to be in town for all of the 2012 championship run, nice. which felt which felt very good. Um, nice. But, you know, I'm just trying to think, yeah, probably seven or eight times. And each time I play Harding Park, I do like it a little bit more. And I think the very first time I played it, I I'm sure like everybody else, it partially was, you know, <laughs> my shitty play probably played a role. And, you know, like, ah, I don't know. But each time I play it, I like it a little more. And for whatever reason, it actually feels more and more like a Muni. Each time I play it, just because of how open it is and just seeing the variety of people that are out there playing is so refreshing. Like you said, if you go to a Cal club or an Olympic club or, hey, if you're lucky enough to go play San Francisco Golf Club, which, by the way, another quick sign, I'm going to distract myself here real quick. Is there another Muni that's surrounded by as much world-class golf as, as Harding Park? Because, like, Harding Park in itself is world-class. Like, kind of keep in mind, the, what, five-time U.S. Open venue is visible from half the mm -hmm. course right up there on the hill, you know, Olympic Club, and then mm -hmm. probably the stodgiest most private uppity like golf course in Northern California outside of Monterey is right there across the road, but you would never know it. it, it it's I crazy know. how much golf is it. One of my favorite things to do is look at a, a topo map. I go to Google oh, maps got, and just look, I've got a great look picture at, for you. Yeah. Just look at San Francisco and I'll just see this big old, just patches of green in the Southwest corner and see like, damn, that's a lot of golf down there. I need to get my hands on some of that. That's that looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the San Francisco Golf Club is literally four blocks from my house. So me and my wife bought a house in 2014 mm -hmm. right here on Alamany, and it's right down the street. I have been begging someone to get me on that course because I drive by it every single day. And a part of me wants to just, you know, hop the fence and sneak on. And then I realize I'll probably get shot by laser beams because that place is guarded by, like, the Pentagon. You know what I mean? But the other side of me is like, man, one day I'm going to befriend someone, and they're going to they're gonna let me on there. If I have to be a caddy, like, whatever I have to do to play that damn course – Anyone who's listening, hit me up. Like, it is – honest to God, it's part of my bucket list. I got an opportunity to play the late course out at the Olympic Club. My buddy uh, Ryan Crowley, who's a member out there, who's been a member since he was a kid, who was a junior member, he got me out there, and that was – 
I mean, I got my butt kicked, but that was absolutely awesome. There's something about you play a course for the first time that you've been dreaming about. You just play awful. Like, I'm yeah. just sweating. I mean, blocking every shot to the right. I did the same thing out at Cal Club. <laughs> the first tee, I was more nervous than I was during my own wedding. I'm like, yeah. do not make this horrible. What are you doing? And I was playing horrible, and I literally was turning to the caddy. I'm like, I'm better than this. I swear. I'm better than this. I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm a lot better than this. I just – I really suck right now. It's it's dude the, the knee knockers on the first tee of a golf course you've been thinking about like all right when I finally get out there I know that I want to hit I want to hit three wood I want to hit it at this angle and then yes. you get up there and you're like bro is there four golf balls on the ground I can't see straight this is crazy oh uh, and but, every part of your game is off it's not like one thing it's like literally every part I'm I'm hooking shots with my irons I can't hit a putt I'm duffing chip shots and I'm just like you got to be kidding me and I'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed they invited me over and I'm like I'm 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 better than this can I get a second crack at this can we go around one more time I'll yeah i was saying you, you finish up on 18 like you know what i, I think we need to go around again i, I think that's i think that's <laughs> well, hey the next time you play a private course with, uh, with a buddy the one thing that was you know as somebody who has not really been a uh, a private club member my entire life uh I, this is the little um little nugget of info that i got is if when you are going to play a lot of private clubs this is for all you listeners out there too a lot of private clubs don't charge guest fees by the round they charge guest fees by the day Huh. So a lot of times when you're paying your guest fee, it's to allow them access to the club for the day. So if you do have a buddy that's willing to bring you out to a private club, say, hey, why don't we try to get like a really nice early tea time at eight o'clock or so? And then why, why don't we go around for a second go in the afternoon? Oh, what do you chill. think? So you got to be using that argument. Us, us, us public folk golfers, we got to try like to find it. a way to maximize our time out on these, uh, these precious gems of golf courses that we don't get access to that often. But I digress back to, to Harding Park, at least my friend. Yeah. Um, did you play a lot of golf at Harding Park before the renovation? Yeah. Because yeah. a, a lot of buddies, I had, oddly enough, a lot of my buddies that grew up, for whatever reason, when I went to Chico State, half of the guys on my floor in the dorm came from Pacifica. I, I don't know how, but a ton of them, they went Terra Nova grads, played a ton of golf at Sharp Park, played a ton of golf at Harding. And a lot of them just haven't, for whatever reason, been able to, big, haven't gone to play Harding Park in the last 15 years. They played it a ton as a kids. Mm -hmm. And so they have this image in their head of Harding Park being like, eh, so, so. But then, you know, you see it on TV, it's like, that's not the case. This golf course is immaculate. Do mm -hmm. you have any memories of the golf course before the renovation in terms of, is there any major changes that we should be yeah. kind of trying to think about while we're watching the telecast of what the golf course used to be when guys like Ken Venturi was out there winning tournaments as opposed to now? Yeah, it, Johnny Miller, Ken Venturi. I mean, they have a long line of city champions that are absolutely Lawson studs. Little, Harvey Ward. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the championship pedigree at Harding Park is incredible. I hope they touch on that a lot yeah. during the broadcast because it is it's great point. crazy how many guys yeah. have uh, have made their bones out there. It's awesome. Daniel Connolly, who's down at SMU right now, is a San Francisco uh, native. His dad owns a bar out here. He's Irish kid. He won the city championship last year or the year before. Like he's going to be, he'll, he'll be on the McKenzie tour or web.com. He, he's You're going to see a corn fairy, whatever they're calling it. Now you're yeah. going to see this kid. He's a stud. Um, Harding Park, when I was a kid, so I played a lot of baseball and basketball. Golf was an afterthought, but my dad used to always try to get us out there to go play golf. I had a couple of clubs that he sawed down, and we would go out there with him in the early evenings because he was a plumber. He worked. My mom worked. We'd go out there after baseball practice or something. I'd have one or two clubs, like a, a seven iron that was sawed off, you know, like sawed down, and I had a little pitching wedge and a little putter. And my dad would be hitting balls, and he'd say, put a ball down, hit it, hit it as many times. By the time I get to the green, if you're not on the green with me, pick that ball up and run on. And that's what we used to play with me and my little brother. And that's kind of how we learned to like speed it up and keep playing. I didn't understand how much I would love it till later on in life. Cause like I said, I was playing other sports and then 
what I remember specifically, though, is late 90s, you know, mid 90s, daisies everywhere. You couldn't find your, your ball because your ball would be white. The daisies would be everywhere. There was rummage. I mean, I'm talking trees overhanging. They would fall over. They would just leave them there. I mean, there was no tree clearage the way it looks like right now. And it was rerouted differently. So the way it's set up right now is not the way it was set up back in the day. It used to go one, and then now I think it's seven. So this, the, the little short par four was oh, the so second that, that- hole. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I see that I did not know. Okay, so you went straight to the right, up the hill, back and around. So it looped around a little different than the way it is now. And I know for the pros, for the WGC, they didn't start on one. They started actually on ten because that was match play. They didn't want it to get to the eighteenth hole and the and the match already be done. You know what I mean? So they they routed it differently for the match play. I don't know how they're going to route it for the PGA Championship. I would assume they go off of one. They're, they're not, going standard routing for the for the championship. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, but it's not the longest course. I mean, like, for example, for, for you and me, I mean, the, the 10th hole is a long, long par five. It is three full shots for almost every single person I've ever played with, scratch golfer or not. I watched Jim Furyk, who's not one of the longest hitters, get there easily in two, like easily in two. It's 600 and however many yards. So just to give you perspective on where these guys are, we went out there the day after the WGC, and they had all of the different um, uh, the stagings and, and, and fan setups, and we tried to play from the back tees and see yeah. what it was like. I mean, these guys hit the ball an absurd amount of way. On, on the 16th hole, which is a short par four for most of us, mm-hmm. most people have half a wedge or a full wedge into the green, no matter how hard you hit it. Rory is clearing the tree on a knuckleball and, and, and either hitting the green with a, with a three wood or, or, you know, laying up with an iron and just off the green. Like, just to give you an example of how stupid these guys hit the ball. They're hitting knuckleballs. So it plays so different for them than it does for the, for the mortals, as I like to say. But for that sure. course has gone through unbelievable amounts have changed. They changed all the greens. The actual material of the green has changed. It used to be something totally different. Now I believe it's, uh, what is it, Poana or whatever they call it. Yeah, Popoa is the most common one on coastal courses in California. Although yeah. some of them, you know, the, the nicer grass. Ones, bent grass is, is kind of yeah. preferable because it doesn't tend to be quite as bumpy. That's the, yeah. one that, that's the one knock on Poa is it tends to be a little bumpy. That's why you hear a lot of pros talking about it down at Torrey or at Pebble, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, the really good guys, I mean, your Tiger Woods is, they don't give a shit. They're going to make putts on whatever. So yeah. it does, you know, the, the guys that can putt, they can putt on whatever. Well, and that's one of the things like I've heard. And again, I respect him. Andy Johnson, the fried eggs. Like, oh, you know, the greens aren't that spectacular. Okay. Go out there and play a couple different rounds during the same day in the morning. They're going to putt real smooth. You're not going to be able to stop a lot of balls on the green. Cause it's wet as hell. Okay. In the morning, you got that thick fog. That ball is wet. Even if you hit it in the fairway, good luck trying to stop it. But the putts will be a little straighter as it starts to dry out. You play an afternoon in that wind, but that ball, it looks like a straight putt. It turns left. It turns right at the very last minute. They're really hard to read. I'm telling you, you're going to see a lot of guys get really frustrated with the short ones. The short ones are so hard out there. It may not be a lot of undulation, but they're big greens. And if you miss one side or the other, you could slope off and you got a really tricky short-sided chip shot. So it's they've changed that course so much over the years. I just think it's in fantastic shape. It's, yeah. not, it's not Olympic. No one said it. It is Olympic. It means more than Olympic to the community, though. And I think that's the, the the bigger thing is the spirit of the course means more than the actual greens, the tee boxes, things like that. And for most Muni, what I call it, we're in the Muni circuit. We bounce around from yeah, yeah. course to course in the Bay Area. 
it's as good conditions as you're going to find. It is For pristine, sure. yeah. pristine. To not have a slope tee box. I mean, we're accustomed to having a slope tee box with, you know, they just threw, the, 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 the gardener's drunk. He just <laughs> threw down two pegs, was like, here's where the blues are today. Here's where the whites are. And there's divots everywhere. I mean, it just looks awful. Harding is, is pristine and they treat you really well out there. So I, I think it's going to be an awesome showcase. And, and the course has been, a, it's got a dramatic facelift in the last 20 years. Interesting. Now, here, does Harding still have like the Muni vibe to it? I guess you could say. Where when you go out to Lincoln Park, you go to a sharp mm-hmm. park, you're hanging out. There's guys out there sitting, chilling in t-shirts, drinking, you know, drinking Miller Lights, you know, just hanging. Like where I grew up in Santa Rosa at Bennett Valley, you'd go to the old, you know, the the, the rusty putter, you know, the the bar that was there, and you know, you'd have. I mean, shoot, you have guys in tank tops. Sometimes guys would just be yeah. sitting on the back patio without their shirt off. I mean, it, it, there's a very distinct kind of like Muni kind of image that you think of in the back of your head granted it's probably changed a little bit over the years but it's it's definitely not the exact opposite of what you would find at your your you know your stereotypical private club yeah with the renovation and with harding park being really as wonderfully nice as it is now has it still managed to retain some of that kind of old school kind of like muni vibes that it, that it had for so many decades yeah you know this, this is a tricky one because i think it depends on who you talk to and when they go in there you know they, they've got great staff there like i'm being honest like they, there's been times i've gotten into it with certain individuals over over things you know where i'm trying to get on the course and it's like hey man I, I had this thing booked for a month and a half i got a cyo game at six o'clock i i have to get on this course this morning because i literally cannot play this afternoon like i've been looking forward to this for weeks you know but that happens in any course the one yeah. that I would say is that the vibe at Fleming is so chill, so relaxed. You get kind of a a little, you know, stuck up vibe from time to time, especially early in the morning on the weekends because you have a lot of tourists. You have a lot of people that are from outside the Bay Area and they charge a premium for these people to play. You have a lot of tourists that come there from overseas who rent clubs. You'll see a ton of Nike and Titleist clubs with the full staff bag being rented out there. And it tends to be a long, I'm talking five, six hour round on Saturdays and Sundays. And so me and my friends, we like to do the twilight rounds. Boom, hop on, let's go, and let's just play. Me and my brother, it's more like last minute when we go out there or first thing in the morning. Like, we got to get out there first thing in the morning, and and that's the way because you can really set the tone. You can get in and out of there in three and a half to four hours, and it's moving. You know, you're not waiting on every single shot. The vibe, though – Everybody is dressed up to not over the top like club style, but they're dressed up the way they should be. It's appropriate, as I would say, appropriate attire, polos. People have their shorts on. Will you see a guy in jeans out there? Absolutely, you'll see guys in jeans out there. Um, And you'll see a ton of kids, which makes the vibe super, you know, chill and low key. I love that. And you see a lot of older women. That's one thing that I I think you get a lot of older women and a lot of couples like, uh, you know, senior citizens. They want to play with their wife or their significant other. So it just brings everything down to a chill vibe you'll catch people smoking weed drinking beer you get a lot of high school kids out there playing golf it's a really good mix but on the actual harding 18 i'm not gonna lie at times it can get a little stuffy it it can because you're charging 250 for a bay area resident to play it yeah i mean and that's you know that's a substantial chunk of change but it sounds to me like if you're there saturday sunday mornings you're gonna have a dramatically different experience as opposed to going there on a tuesday afternoon is that exactly 
Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. It's super chill in the afternoon. Like I know a lot of the guys out there. You know, they, they have face recognition, or they went to high school, or I coached them growing up. So there's a lot of kids that work out there um, throughout the summers and stuff. And you just get to know everybody, and and they kind of they, they treat you right. Like there's this guy Malcolm who's one of the starters. He's just a great dude. He always treats us right. He takes care of us, as we like to say. You know, if there's a if there's a group that he thinks is going to be a little slow, he'll kind of flip flop us and them and say, hey, you know, why don't you let these young guys go in front of you? You know, little things like that that really make a big difference and it just makes the experience better nothing's worse than waiting behind a slow group for a six-hour golf round that should only be four it is the <sighs> worst in the world but the one thing i say about harding it's a fantastic walking course yes. and i think that's one of the things that i absolutely love about it uh, my dad uses his cart you know his little push cart mm -hmm. i like to carry out there to each his own but they also have uh, obviously the, the the carts out there for the handicapped or for people that are like my grandfather's age 85 years old who just can't walk it like he right. used to so they always take care of everybody out there but i love that there's so many push carts out there yeah, no, totally. And so it sounds to me like if somebody's going to be watching this tournament next weekend and they're like, I would love to go play the jewel, the Muni jewel of the Bay Area. I want to go out there. I want to, you know, I want to kind of feel like a local, you know, mm -hmm. go go out there on a weekday afternoon. It's kind of probably the best recommendation to kind of get that same sort of experience. Yeah. Or I don't go because that's when we're trying to go. <laughs> no, what I would say is get you and your buddies and go out there on a, on a Friday morning, a Thursday morning, a Wednesday, you know, midday, go like 10, 30, 11, you tee off right then and there, you're going to get the best weather. Okay. And the round's going to be smooth. There's not going to be a lot of people in the middle of a weekday out there. Look, look, I'm telling you those tee sheets, they fill up. I don't care what time of year it is. I don't care COVID or not. That, that place was shut down for about seven weeks. The mm -hmm. minute it started back up, it was like clockwork. I mean, I yeah. got a couple of tea times with me and my buddy out there when they had twosomes going out. Yeah. And it was awesome. But the whole entire tea sheet was filled right out the gate. Go out during the weekday. It's a little more relaxed. The flow is a lot quicker because they're diehard golfers out there. Right. That's a better experience, in my opinion, than a Saturday or Sunday. Saturday or Sunday is just so packed. Everyone's in carts. Everyone's stopping the cart girl or the cart guy and like, hey, you know, let me order like 17 different things. Oh, I didn't bring my credit card. Let me run across the fairway. Like, I don't know. It's just the little things drive me nuts. But I tell you, I mean this, Kyle. No joke. Every single time I'm out there, I don't care if it's a Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, I run into somebody I know from the city out there. And it's always the most random people. And we always joke around. It's our, this, is our, this is our gem. This is our Bushwood. We love it. And I'm right there with you, man. There's there's few things more satisfying that make me like put a bigger smile on my face and just run into a golf buddy that I wasn't planning on seeing out the golf course. And that's what you only get at your local at your local spot. And exactly. it's, it's nice to know it's not like one of those pebbles where it's 200 different people coming to the golf course every single day. No, no knock on pebble. I mean, they they get it. You know, they they make a lot of money, but nobody's calling Pebble Beach. There's not a single Monterey resident that calls Pebble Beach. Oh yeah, that's my home course. I just say I was gonna go meet up with the guys and go play Pebble this afternoon. That just doesn't happen. And Granted, it's a little more expensive, but at Harding Park for an out-of-towner, like I said, 200-something 200, 200 bucks, you know, you'd think it might be kind of the same way, but it's, it's great to hear that it actually still has like a really, you know, kind of a local, you know, a local feel to it. Yeah, and, and to that point, so for me, my brother, my dad, we all have our residence cards, right? So, so you, you pay for a resident card, and you get a big discounted rate. It basically proves that you live in San Francisco. You pay right. bills in San Francisco. And it costs me 55 bucks, essentially, to walk the course. Pays for 55 bucks. It's incredible. It's, it's yeah. $55 to walk Harding. I mean, it's a steal when you look at what uh, the cost of, of, of playing golf is. That's half the price of playing Presidio. Now, Presidio is an excellent course. You have to take a cart nine times out of ten. Like, mm -hmm. they want you to to speed up play because there's yeah. so many hills and stuff, which kind of sucks. But, again, like – 
it's just easier. It's right down the street from me. I have massive amounts of pride because that is my home course. That's the closest place I go. I use the little chipping area. My, my, my nephew was a part of the first tee program. I got a godson right now who's part of the first tee program. They learned to love the game of golf there. And it's just a place that I hold dear because my grandfather, me, my dad, every, we can all play there and it's not going to break the bank. Yeah. Man, you're making me want to get in my car right now, Joe, and just drive down to the city so we can get an afternoon round. It just sounds uh, – I'm, I'm, although, granted, the golf course is closed. They are going to be hosting a major championship yes. in, in nine days from now. So pro probably will not be able to get on if that was the case. But, um, all right, let's start talk a little bit about what these pros are going to be dealing with here. And that, I guess the first thing I want to start with is the weather, my man. So mm -hmm. you were saying, like, a lot of times morning is some of the best time, you know, the best time to go out there and play. How, how much of a difference does the weather play out there in the mornings versus the afternoons? I mean, yeah. typically at Bodega, like for instance, we said we were both playing there on Sunday. I mean, the afternoons in Bodega, and just in terms of the wind alone, it, it's a completely different golf course. I, I, is, it, is it the same case down at a place like Harding? San Francisco is the windiest city on the planet. I know Chicago gets that nickname. Uh, totally disagree. You <laughs> could be walking down the street in San Francisco on one block, and it's like 65, 70 degrees. You're like, oh, I'll take my sweatshirt off. You hit the corner, and all of a sudden you're in a wind vortex where wind is coming from four different directions, and you're like, oh, my God, get my parka, get my beanie. I need snow gloves. What the hell is going on? That course, specifically Harding, we have a joke, layered clothing. Like, that's literally what we say all the time. I keep a vest at all times i have like this windbreaker vest mm -hmm. i have my zip up or whatever my quarter zip you pull over i have that in there i have my beanie at all times it could rain it could turn into sun you could you know you don't have any idea what's going to happen hold the hole i've been out there and it's literally rained like pouring rain on us for two holes and then instantly the skies open up and it turns to 75 degrees and it's absolutely gorgeous. That course changes shot to shot, not even hole to hole. It is unbelievable how diverse the, the elements and the conditions can be out there. And, and that's, I think, what's going to be really cool to see. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. August is typically extremely foggy, extremely moist, not in the sense like it's going to rain. It's just that heavy dew, that condensation yeah. that you get. Just so much bowl, fog in the air, you know? Yeah, and the bowl doesn't travel. Like, I, that's the other thing. Like, I see all these different websites and people are like, I hit my seven iron 210 yards i'm like good luck doing that at the marine layer at five o'clock at night with wind <laughs> blowing in your face right off of lake merced like it's just the, the i've learned to hit shots on a course like that because yeah. there is no stock seven iron out there you know what i no. mean yeah. there's a cutty one there's a high flighted one here's a low one like you learn how to play real golf the ball's above your feet it's a little below your feet there's so many little nuances i think the weather's going to play a massive factor sure. I, I know these guys hit the ball a mile I absolutely do, but I don't know how wet it's going to be early in the morning. How windy is it going to be late in the afternoon? Is it going to be super hot and sunny? Is it going to be super firm? How wet are they going to let those greens get? How dry are they going to let those greens get? Because right. I went out there a couple of weeks ago, and they were so dry, you could bounce a basketball off those bad boys. And I am not used to seeing it like that. Usually it's nice and moist and real receptive to a high, you know, high iron shot, and it'll just sit down. It might bounce a little, but it'll stay in that area. If they get them really firm, and they're bouncing off and you're going into that thick rough good luck yeah no, no kidding but it's, it sounds to me like the weather there is actually just you know it's it's not consistent in the fact that afternoons are always windier than mornings and vice versa stuff like that so really it's it's just a game of chance the guys that go out in the mornings or the guys that go out in the afternoons excuse me they shouldn't be just be automatically expecting to have to deal with maybe another club or two of wind as opposed to the guys in the morning it, 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 it's crapshoot 
Yeah, and that's why I'm a little worried for Tiger. I don't know how cold it's going to be in the morning. I mean, we've been out here. Look, I live literally. I could see Lake Merced from from my window over here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's it gets down to the low 50s every single morning. You know, for the most part, it might get up to the to the mid 70s if it's really nice. The sun pokes its head out almost every single day, but it, yeah. it's not long. It's not few. It's few and far between, as we like to say. So I don't know how cold it's going to be. I don't know how wet it's going to be. So like, I worry about Tiger's back and things like that. Other than that, I think that this course sets up really well for someone like him because you got to hit iron shots in play like you absolutely you can't just mash it down here Bryson DeChambeau and think that you're going to be wedging out uh, from any distance it's too thick you're not going to be able to get the ball uh, flushed with any iron from these from this rough it's just ridiculous so I'm going to be very interested to see what clubs they're using off of the tee like all of that matters to me in this one because I don't think a lot of guys they can drive the ball wherever they want there's no question these guys but I think a lot of guys are going to want to play from the middle of the fairway because I'm telling you, this rough is so thick and the fairway is so narrow that I think it's really going to dictate shots off tee. Yeah, and I think it was uh, it was Josh Sens for for Golf Magazine and Golf.com that wrote uh, wrote about Harding Park on their Muni Monday series. I think it might have been a month I or saw two that. ago. And uh, he he had a couple of great little nuggets in there. The first one that I loved is he kind of describes Harding Park as a, as a cinnamon roll, right? Where the the front nine does a little a lot of swirling in the middle of the property, and the back nine is basically just a big loop around the outside mm-hmm. of the entire property, which I think is going to be awesome. I guess my question to you, and it jumps back to when we were talking about Fleming, even though the back nine starts off, you know, with a couple of par fives and then starts, do you think the back nine there is more challenging than the front? Like, what do you expect to see in terms of when guys are going out there, if they're starting on one on the, on the weekend, everybody's starting on one. I mean, how do you anticipate the rounds of golf going for those guys? I mean, is it one of those places where you got to stockpile strokes early and just prepare yourself for a gauntlet down the stretch? I mean, what, what do you anticipate seeing from the guys that are out there, given everything you know about the golf course? Yeah, I, I think the front nine is going to be very gettable for every single one of them. You know, I mean, take the ninth hole, for example, par five. My nephew, okay, 18 years old, I mean, from the blues, he's getting there in two, no problem, even on a foggy day. You know what I mean? He yeah. hits the he hits the snot out of the ball, but nowhere near what the professionals hit the ball. So even if they go to the back tees, because I've seen all the different championship tees, obviously everyone's been paying attention to where they're at. These guys should be able to get to that in two, no problem. Now, the first par five is a really tough par five. On that dog front leg left, nine. right? Dog leg left. It's super narrow. You got a tucked pin. It's a big green. Got bunkers on either side. There's a bailout to the right. If you do not hit the fairway with your tee shot, you have absolutely no chance of, of threading the needle. But like the second hole is just straight away. I mean, it's a straight away bomb. The first hole straight away bomb. Um, obviously that par three uphill blind flag location. You cannot see it from where you're hitting. That's a tough, tough hole. It's really hard. Like walking away with a bogey for most mortals. That's a good score there because you could leave it short and you're in a bunker. You can hit it way too long. Like that's a very tricky little par three. It, it may yeah. play 155, 165, but it's just really hard for a lot of local. I don't know how the pros are going to play that one. I don't know where the pin locations are going to be on that one. I'm trying to think. Six is pretty straight away. Seven is a dog leg back to the left, or excuse me, six is dog leg back to the left. Five straight away. Seven is a short par four. All of them should be right near the green, yeah. off the tee, no problem. That's a gettable hole for them so i mean three four holes at no problem in my opinion should be easy birdie holes for them on the front nine the back nine it's a little longer it's a little windier you're more exposed to the elements there's uh red stake hazards on the left hand side for basically five straight holes you got the forest carry over 18 over the water if they cut it through the trees you can make that hole significantly shorter if you block it to the right it becomes 50 to 75 yards longer it's an uphill elevated tee that, that slopes off into the 
oblivion. So I think the back nine is going to be real difficult. And again, the elements and what the green, like I have no idea what the greens are going to play like. Like Kyle, that's my biggest question. Like, are they going to be moist? Are they going to be super dry? How are they going to trick this thing out? I, I think, you know, my guess is, with all the fog and the moisture that's in the air, I feel like they can only get so dry. But I think because of that, my, you know, I'm not a greenskeeper. I'm not a superintendent. So this is, you know, just coming from, you know, some Daryl, you know, talking about golf in his, in his office, in his house. But I would imagine they'll try to dry those things out as much as possible, knowing that the fog will keep an element of moisture in there and keep them from just flat out dying. So, you yeah. know, so to speak, like sometimes you see with the U.S. Open. So I hope, like you, because if they can keep those things firm, I mean, I know it's kind of a pipe dream to, you know, hope they'll have greens like the Memorial uh, a couple of weeks ago when basically they're like, yeah, screw it. We're about to tear these things out next week. Anyway, you can let these things turn the concrete if you want. They were literally tearing them out in the middle of the freaking final round. Yes, exactly. So it's like, I I don't think we can, I I don't think we can expect them to be that firm, but man, that is like, that is a golf fans dream. Cause then all of a sudden that shot making and those, those approach shots, that's all of a sudden where Tiger Woods starts to shine. You know, someone that actually control, spin the ball left, right, forward, back with every golf club in the bag. That's when it becomes at a premium. If they're a little softer, as we've seen, you know, tour events over and over and over again, once they get a little softer, all you got to just land it on your spot and it holds. So I think they're going to try to, you know, try to get them as fast and as firm as possible. But with all the fog out there, I mean, shit, man, who knows how possible that is. Well, and the other part of this is – I. I... I want to see where the pin locations are. I'm so accustomed to the standard pin locations that they have out there. How aggressive are they going to get? If you miss one of these, there's a lot of big greens. I mean, they're anywhere from 35 to 55 yards long. Like, seriously, that's how long some of these greens are. Whereas if you go play Lincoln or Golden Gate or even um, the Lake Course, a lot smaller greens. I mean, just real smaller greens in general. So if you miss on the right-hand side, you can still two-putt on a lot of those greens. Out at Harding, you miss on the wrong side. It's an auto three-putt. I mean, automatic three-putt. I don't care how great of a putter you are, Jordan Spieth. You have got to be able to be on the right quadrant. And then if you miss long, how creative is your short game? Like that's There's a lot of little, like, I know the guys love flopping it, but there's a lot of little ones that are going to be tricky little runners where the ball's way above your feet because there's, like, a little sloped-off hill. Like, there's going to be some real tricky, tricky short shots, and I want to see the creativity, and that's why I'm kind of crossing off Bryson DeChambeau. I know everybody's loving him. I don't think he has the, the creativity in the short game to, to really compete at the PGA Championship. I mean that sincerely. Yeah, I was okay, here, here, here's a great hypothetical for you. Let's say fans are at this tournament. Do the Bay Area sports fans rally behind Bryson? Do you think Bryson is a guy that the Bay Area sports fan would be rooting for at this golf tournament? No, no, it'd be yeah. Brooks Kepka. <laughs> yeah. It'd be Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka is like the Antichrist. I love him, dude. Like he he's the hero we need, the villain we need. The way he speaks his mind, some of the stuff that he said about social activism this week. I think everybody would be rooting for him, no doubt about it. And then Tiger. Like again, Rory is a god out here to the first tee program and all yeah. the kids that are out here. And and uh, and again, there's a huge Irish American population here in the Bay Area that absolutely loves Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. Like those are fan favorites. No no doubt about it. Yeah, that sounds oh, man. Uh, all right, I, I got to stop thinking about the fans that are going to be at this golf tournament, Joe. Like, I just, I just got to refocus. So, I, I, I want to hit on something that you said. So, number four, for example, like for me, that's probably the golf hole that I'm most excited to watch the guys play because of, of all the holes out there, it's the one. I mean, with the fairways being as narrow as they are, everybody's going to have to be kind of exact off the tee. But number four is, like you said, a. a Dog leg left par five, but it dog legs right from the jump. So really, mm-hmm. if you're going to have any chance of getting home in two, yeah, not only are you going to have to hit the fairway, guys out here – now, granted, these are PGA Tour players. These are the best guys in the world. They should be able to hit shots right to left as well as left to right and kind of do whatever. But 
it is going to require a very precise right to left ball off the tee. And if they miss it, not only are they not getting there in two, big numbers could possibly come into play. And then it actually started to make me think, you know, with how many cypress and eucalyptus trees are out there, what's your gauge on how like thick the trees are? Like, is it where there's enough space between the trees where if the guys go into the crap on the right or the left, there's still a good chance they'll have a shot to get up to the green and advance the ball? Or are the trees out there so thick and there's so many of them that most of the time it requires just a bailout back into the fairway? I mean, how, how, how many sideways 30-yard pitch shots are we going to be seeing from these guys? I think there's going to be a combination of a lot of people struggling out there. Like, it's really hard, number one, to get a three-wood on a ball in the rough out there. Like, good luck with that. Especially that rough, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, good luck with that. So, for example, on that specific tee shot, if you miss short and to the left – you are going to have to hit a huge sweeping draw to get it back to where you want. Because if you hit anything that's got a little cut to it, you're going to go right back into that cypress tree on that left-hand side. If you bail out way too far on the right side and you block it, now you have to hit a big cut to the outside and miss all the cypress trees on that. Like I just think you're seeing a lot of punch outs. I think you're going to see a lot of guys with wrists into the <laughs> into the ground like like at Bethpage. Like I really do. I know Bethpage is a very different course, but I think there was a lot of similarities. You're going have to have strong wrist action forearm action to be able to get out of there and it's just gonna be really hard to put the meat of the club on the ball like it's it's a really difficult um thing to do out there i i think it's two iron all day for a lot of these guys maybe i'm wrong i I hit a two iron all day because i can kind of turn it over just right to left and it gives me a good shot i get down there it's gonna run out a little because those those fairways slope down on that particular hole toward the next green but that next shot coming up into that green You've got two big-time bunkers on the left and right that are really deep. You've got a very big green. If you miss long, you've got a real tricky, like, chip pitch shot. I'm telling you, that that is a really, really hard hole. But the very next hole is a straightaway. It's as straight away as you can get. That's an auto birdie hole for them as long as they don't put that pin in the back right where it slopes off. Yeah. Dude, you bring up such a good point. Before I, before I make it, I got to say, tip of the cap to you, man, for hitting two. I mean, just the fact that you can hit a two iron. I, I, uh, I am beyond impressed. I can't <laughs> hit a driver. I got to hit something straight. <laughs> well, it, it kind of made me think about, you know, Tiger's victory at St. Andrews where he was doing nothing but hitting two irons off the tee. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, this golf course, even though we're at sea level and, you know, for the, the average golfer like us, at 7,200 yards at sea level, that's crazy long. Like that, yeah. that would be a struggle. For those guys, I mean, shoot, they, they probably see 7,200 yards in the scorecard and they start licking their chops. And I, I wonder, and this – this point has been made throughout golf media for the last couple of weeks, couple of months in terms of people trying to figure out what the hell are they going to do about the distance thing? Guys are heading it too far. They're rendering these golf courses obsolete. we got to stretch these things out to eight, nine, 10,000 yards, but Oh, what's right. Nobody has enough land to do that. All right. Golf. Oh, let's grow the rough out. And I'm, I'm personally want to see the ball get rolled back. get some equipment get rolled back. I think that'd be a better solution, but at least for this tournament specifically with how gnarly the rough is going to be, and the fact that it's not going to be a golf course that they have to be hitting driver to be reaching up par fours and two or potentially hitting a part, you know, par five and two. I am actually going to be fascinated if somebody follows your advice and does start taking two irons off the tee, because I think at 7,200 yards, you could absolutely do that. And with a premium being put on hitting the fairway, I, I would love to see a handful of guys put the driver away unless they absolutely need it and just put a premium hitting those fairways Obviously, Tiger Woods is one of the first guys that comes to mind that maybe would employ something like that. I mean, do you think from what you've seen on tour, do you think there's going to be any guys out there that actually have the discipline to actually put the driver away when, you know, every other tournament of the year, you know, it's kind of like, hey, man, just doesn't matter. You're the best golfer in the world. You get a shitty lie in the rough, you can hit it out of there. I mean, 
Do you think that Rupp is going to be gnarly enough where it actually is going to incentivize guys to keep the big dog in the bag? Yeah. Yeah, this, the setup is going to remind me a lot of Pebble. And I think I really do. Look, I, and this is going to sound like I'm being redundant. I love Brooks Kepka. I love him with that three iron that he uses, that Nike Vaporfly three iron. I think he's going to be money all day. He's got great iron play. He's got great touch with the short game, great touch with his putter. I think Gary Woodland is someone that I, if I was looking for a random outside-the-box person, I know he has one major. He sets up perfectly at a course like this. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods. I love anybody who has that same discipline and has every shot in the bag when it comes to the irons. Can you hit a big-time cut? Like, that's to me, I think there's going to be a lot of guys hitting cuts because you're going to have that heavy fog coming in. You're going to have a lot of long irons into those par four, uh, par fives. And I, I, I just – I think it sets up really well for guys that are extremely disciplined. I don't like Patrick Reed and Dustin Johnson and some of the other sexier names that hit the crap out of the driver off the tee. I, I don't like them. I, I like guys that can hit the irons, to be honest with you, at, at, yeah. uh, at Harding. That's, that's what I'm looking for, like the, the randoms. And, again, that's why I say Gary Woodland. Like Gary Woodland – Loves that stinger off the tee. I think this course sets up perfectly. He can hit that big cut. He can hit a big sweeping draw, that little like hook shot that just runs out forever. That's why I love Tiger this week. Yeah, I mean, man, can you imagine how nuts it's going to be if Tiger Woods somehow comes out and hits two iron off the tee for, you know, for 14 holes every single round and somehow, you know, finishes in the top 10, maybe let alone win. That would be absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, see, that's the thing is like, Thinking about guys hitting irons off the tee, that's what I want to see. Although I'm I'm very pessimistic that will actually end up being the case because I think uh, I was listening to the No Laying Up guys last week, you know, talk a little bit about the PGA Championship coming up. And they're, they're of the belief that it just doesn't matter. You know, whoever can hit the biggest, longest, straightest ball is, is going to be the ones that win. I, I, I don't know if I can disagree. I, it's not what I but want yeah. to see. What, what, what do you think? Well, okay, and this is the problem. I watched the No Laying Up guys come to Harding Park, and they played it last year. It looked so different last year than what it's going to play like right now. Like, I'm hearing Andy Johnson say the same thing. Like, oh, they're just going to bomb it and wedge it on down. I'm like, dude, I've played this course for 20 straight years the way it's set up now. It's totally different the way it's playing right now, today. I'm talking about July 2020 and it's going to be next week, August of 2020, than what it played even last year. Like, yeah. it, it was so thin, the rough. You can hit anything. I can hit a six iron, five iron out of the rough. I can hit a four iron out of the rough. The ball's propped up. It's no big deal. Dude, if you miss the fairway, good luck. This is playing so different than what it used to play like. It's, it's, it's a totally different course, and they've been growing it out for months and months and months. I'm telling you right now, it is so different than when they played it. They can have their beliefs, and I'm not saying that they're not wrong. I'm just saying they don't have accurate information as to what it looks like right now because yeah. I vehemently disagree with what they think it looks like. It's, it's going to be ridiculously thick. We know anybody who plays golf in San Francisco knows good luck playing out of the fescue in San Francisco in the cold. <laughs> it's not like that Bermuda grass in Florida. It's not like the stuff you see in the South or in the Midwest. It's totally different. Kyle, you know what I'm talking about. That wet grass in the morning. Good luck. I mean, a weed whacker can't even get the ball out. <laughs> Oh, that's such a good point. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's part of what's going to make this tournament so much fun to watch is that there's guys all over the spectrum who play a lot of golf, who watch a lot of golf that can't really seem to come to a consensus as to what they think is going to be the optimal way to win this golf tournament. And so it's, it's going to take us sitting down watching these, you know, the best guys in the world, you mm -hmm. know, put, put a tee in the ground, tee it up and, and go just to see exactly what is the style of play that is going to win out. Um, all right. With kind of, you know, we talk about Harding Park. I mean, 
we might sort of start to wrap this thing up here. I mean, in terms <laughs> of names, brother, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Is there a couple names that you like? I mean, obviously, if the fans were there, I'd, I'd be putting a lot of support behind Roy, Roy McElroy, given what you've been sharing, the, the, mm. you know, the large Irish-American contingent. He also happens to be one of the best golfers in the entire world. That does not hurt. Um, I, I think right now, according to my bookie, he is still the betting favorite wow. uh, to win this golf tournament at plus 900, which admit, I think is a little surprising. I, I thought John Rahm, you know, newly, newly minted number one golfer in the world, would probably at least have a share of the betting favorites. Uh, but he – from according to my bookie, which is what I'm looking at right now, he's at plus 1600. Roy McIlroy yeah. um, at plus 900. Odds on favorite to win. Do you think? Do you think the bookies have got it got it right? Yeah, I, I love Rory. I just man, I gotta see him win a major before before I can start recrowning him. I love the guy, I really do. But he's the king of the backdoor top five on Sunday when he's been mathematically eliminated from the second tee on. Like it drives me nuts. We all root for the guy. See, I, I'm going in the other direction. I like all the Euros. I, I really do. Shane Lowry. Yeah. I like all the guys okay. that have been competing in the Scottish Open, the Irish Open, because the, the, I think the temperature and the weather is going to more resemble that. Like, I really do. I like Lowry. I love Tommy Fleetwood. If he can get out here, I don't know if he's going to quarantine in time, but I love Tommy Fleetwood on a course like this. I, I love John Rom. John Rom won an Irish Open, I believe, uh, and yep. I, I just love his style of play. I think it, I think it translates to Harding Park. I think hitting, hitting fairways, hitting big cut iron shots, soft touch around the greens. Like I really like his game, and I told you I love Brooks Kepka. I yep. absolutely love Brooks Kepka. I think he's going to have that Nike three uh, iron, that that vapor fly black iron that he has so much. He's going to be hitting that bad boy all day off the tee. I, I love Gary Woodland. I, again, I love Gary Woodland for the yep. same exact reason. And then I throw, I throw Jordan Spieth always in the mix just because I love Jordan Spieth. Like, yep. I do. And I, and I love the way he plays the game. I know he's not even anywhere in the top 50. He's just – he's been basically – ejected out of every single tournament but i just there's something about me that roots for the guy i those are the names that i really really like heading into this week a random name to throw out at you that's just somebody i love who i'm i'm getting martin trainer he's played this course almost his entire career he grew up in this area we had him on our show a couple of weeks ago just don't sleep on Martin Trainer. I oh, think I he can it. get hot, and I think he knows this weather. He knows this area. I know that everybody likes to turn him into a punching bag, but I love that guy, and I'm, I'm rooting for the local boy. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Uh, Martin Trainer. That, that would be an awesome story. I would love, oh, love to see that. Awesome. Uh, now, here, here's a random question for you. Do you think the lack of crowds will hurt Tiger Woods? Because I'm of the mind that when Tiger's playing and you have that 75 people deep gallery following him around – he thrives off it. He's not phased at all. And it actually makes other guys that he's playing with, it, it affects them. And so it's basically a huge advantage for Tiger when he's playing that the other, you know, everybody else has to deal with this thing that he's completely accustomed to. Do you think that actually, that advantage is, you know, palpable to the point where he actually is going to suffer not having crowds out there and therefore will be less competitive than he might otherwise would be? You know, I don't know what to make of it. I honestly, I really don't. I, I got to, it's so hard, man. I'm just uh, – Tiger in front of the crowds. I think the playing partners of Tiger end up benefiting more from no crowd than Tiger himself would be For hurt sure. with no crowd. If, if I were to, like, weigh the two different options. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I think Tiger's going to be so locked in. I think he's going to be so ready. But I also think he's going to know right away whether he has a chance or not. Like, I really do. I think he can go out there, slap it around, not play well, and shoot a 66. Like, that's just the way he is. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I, I, I could totally – Totally see him doing that. And I also think he has 
an advantage. Look, I know the course is playing so different than what it used to, but I love great iron players on this course. Like, I really do. I don't think you're going to have to be able to drive the ball as far as everyone thinks it is. I think it's going to be a lot shorter for these guys. These guys don't have to hit driver on every hole. Why would you if you don't need to? Like, I just don't see that. And then, like, someone like – I I keep coming back to this, but Bryson, I'm telling you, the long wedges, I just don't see that playing out in in – at, at, at Harding Park. I don't see how when you have a ball way above your feet or way below your feet and you got this giant wedge, I just don't see how you're going to be able to maneuver that, hit the short pitches, hit the big flops that you need to on that course. And that goes back to Tiger. That's why I do like Tiger because he has that creativity, that imagination yes. that I love so much. So, yeah, he's definitely a factor. There's no question. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're, we're going to just go, go into the weeds here just for a little bit before I let you go, brother, because I know you're a busy, busy man. You got stuff to go do. So, do you think they're going to block off the street next to SF State in that neighborhood right there? Do you think we're going to have people sneaking out and watching through the fence, you know, for, for the, some of those holes in the back? Line? Do you think there's going to somehow be some spectators that catch yeah. a glimpse of what's going on out there? What, what's, your, what's your read on how the city is going to try to maneuver around the no spectator policy to at least get a glimpse of some of these guys when they're playing? Well, they put a brand new fence on the San Francisco state side, which is like the, the Lake Merced walking path. I ride my bike on that path all the time. And I just, you know, from a little birdie, I heard a guy named Joe Shasky and his dog Leonidas are going to take a walk during the middle of Thursday's round first thing in the morning and just see what he could see. And you know, if, if there's nothing to see, he's just going to keep it moving. But other than that, that's, that's all I've heard. But uh, no, there's going to be so many people running around that lake and wanting to be near that lake. I don't know what they're going to do. They might have to put something up because Right now, you can just see right through the fence. I mean, like right. I said, they put a brand new fence. You can see right. right through it. What I don't like is they put in a brand new cement path for trucks, and it's I guess it's only temporary, but okay. they put it in on that same side, the San Francisco State side, and it just – it looks so bad, and it's going through the second par five on the back, which would end up being that's 10, right. 11, 12th hole. The 12th yep. hole, which is like the one you got to dogleg it to the left a little. You got the fence of the out of bounds on that left hand side. They put a giant, like, cement pathway for cars so they could get all of the grandstands and things in there via truck, and it just looks hideous. I mean, that cement looks hideous out there. So, uh, I just want them to remove that immediately as soon as this tournament's over. Yeah. Do, do you think there's going to be a Wrigley-type situation where there's maybe people that have been quarantined together, you know, stacking up in the Park Merced apartments, you know, <laughs> that are over there. You see people looking through the windows. Do they have patios? I don't even know if they have outdoor patios. No. I would love nothing more than to see just just dozens of eyeballs just going through the windows every time they cut to the Kitatella cast. You know, just uh, – I. Hey, a guy can dream, you know? I mean, who, who knows? I, I wish I knew somebody in those apartments so I could go watch. Well, you could see it. So there's houses on the opposite side on Lake Merced on the mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard side. Yeah, yeah, There's a ton of houses over there, and they've got a beautiful view of the 10th hole and uh, of, the, of the 11th hole, that par three. So – you're going to have people having those views. That's going to be out there. There's no question about it. I'm curious if any kids are going to get bold enough to fly their drones over there. Like, that's what I want to know. Like if drones are big here in San Francisco. So, I mean, if I'm a kid that's into golf a little, get me my drone. Let's put the GoPro on that bad boy. Let's do this. Yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be wild. I'm assuming it's probably uh, highly discouraged, but Hey, you know, (laughs) whoever said following the rules is a good idea. You know, it's a, oh man, that's incredible. Okay. Uh, Last thing for the golf course before we let you go here, brother. Um, my, my take when every time I play Harding Park is the hardest stretch of the golf course has got to be 13, 14, 15. Like the, those, those par fours go right out to the lake and then the, first the outer rim. Along, the outer rim. It, do I have a good re- – as somebody that plays that golf course all the time, would you agree that that's probably the most challenging stretch of the golf course? And if not, what do you think is the most challenging stretch both for yourself and for the guys that are going to be playing next weekend? 
No, that, that absolutely is the hardest stretch. Okay. Um, so for the average mere mortal, you know, you get that easy par five, which is 12. And then four is just your standard, you know, bunker on the right, big tree on the left, hit it to the right-hand side. Maybe you got a seven, six, eight iron in. Mm-hmm. You know, some people might have a hybrid in if they don't hit it as far. But then that next hole, that first hole along the outer rim, facing Lake Merced, looking at the Olympic Club, that's a long hole. And it it goes straight downhill, straight back uphill to a really weird bean-style elevated green that slopes off on all sides. And then it's got, you know, the other tee box right behind it. It's just a really, really long, hard hole. Now, for for them, I don't think it's that long, but I think the approach shot is really hard. And I think if they end up on the wrong side of a green because it's such a long approach shot for them – they'll end up three putting if they miss good luck getting up and down it's a yeah. really hard like they shaved it off on some sides to where it rolls down into this little like a uh, grass bunker good luck trying to pitch it on, on that moist grass which really tight really thin you can't really try to hit a flop shot because it's so hit or miss like yeah. you're looking at a really difficult shot you end up running it up and if you run it too short or you run it too far again Automatic two-putt, if not a three-putt. So I think that hole is going to be really hard. Then back down the hill, the following hole, is basically a dog leg to the left, but you got OB, red hazard stakes all on the left-hand side. If you bail out to the right side, you're in a bunker, and then you have to shoot it to a like a sloped green that has a big bunker on the right-hand side. You're looking at the driving range on the right-hand side. That's just a tricky hole. It's a tricky yeah. hole, and it's really hard. If they put a front pin or a far back pin, it's just tough to get there. It's tough to hit a good shot that sits, that settles, because the green wants to not accept your ball, even when it's wet. So that's, that's a hard hole and then the next hole it should be a gettable hole for them but that par three after it that 17th hole yeah that's a tricky one it's a lot trickier it eats my than lunch it every time i'm out there man Woo. yeah and raccoons want to come out of that big tree on the <laughs> left hand side every single time you might hear people <laughs> rowing boats shooting off the the guns because you got the the pacific row and gun club down the street so it, it's just a tough hole and then 18 you know, 18 is trickier than it looks. I oh, mean, I know yeah. these guys are going to hit driver. That's a perfect driver hole in between the two trees, especially when they play to the tee box far to the left. Um, but but that's just a tricky hole. And if you don't hit it on the right-hand side, if you don't hit that green, automatic bogey. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think 18 with those narrowed at fairways, all of a sudden depth, you know, guys, mm-hmm. all right, I got, where do I need to aim? Because I know I hit my driver, say, 295 in the air. What is the exact angle I need to take where I'm not going to get screwed and be going in the rough? So that, that'll be an interesting to see. Uh, all right, Joe, this has been awesome. Do you have time for two rapid-fire questions? Yeah, give me quick. Give me quick. Let's do it. First, how was the state of your golf game? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can't hit the driver on the planet right now, so I went straight to the two-iron. I got the tailor-made UDI that I'm just absolutely buttering right now and hitting it way straighter and way farther okay. than the two-iron. Got a new putter, which I hadn't changed the putter in like six years. Got a new putter. I went mallet style, and I'm telling you, it – Big big difference? Did you, you like the additional you know weight on that? It's it's totally different. I'm still like my dad says. It's new to you. It's new to you. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? So I'm well, learning that. Yeah. yeah, I'm learning that one. But honestly, man, I just love playing. I'm taking lessons because I've never taken nice. lessons in my life outside of what my dad badgering me and teaching me how to do it. So I got this guy Dylan, who's an absolute stud. Uh, go see him over at Golf Tech. You no, know, but he's really like he's giving me certain things to think about and certain fundamentals that I absolutely sure. needed for my game. And I, I got to a point where if I didn't get better, like I want to, I want to be able to, like I can crack eighty. You know, that's no problem for me. But I want to get better. I want to be able to crack. 75. I want to be able to one day shoot par. And so the only way I'm going to do that is I, I have to be willing to change certain things. And that's what sure. I've been really working on. And it's just been hard because 
there's a struggle process throughout this. Again, I didn't grow up playing golf. I grew up playing baseball and basketball. So, you know, you just keep shooting, right? You just keep shooting. And that's how you get back in rhythm. Not in golf. The harder you try, the worse the results it almost feels like. So it's been really hard for me to put the clubs down and not try to swing every single day because you just get more and more frustrated and it's not good for the psyche. So yes, the golf game is a constant struggle, but I love the sport more than anything. It is my favorite thing to do in the world. And I mean that. Yeah, that, that, I'm right there with you, brother. It sounds like you and me are uh, pretty much right there, you know, shoulder to shoulder in terms of our, uh, our games. So we can get very good matches going. And when we, once we <laughs> finally actually can coordinate to get around to golf together. Um, second question, when you're not playing golf in the city, I, admittedly, I think I kind of know the answer to this question, but yeah. when you're not playing golf in the city, you're not at Harding Park, where, where, where are some of your favorite places to go play? Oh, and so in the city, like we have a circuit, like the Muni circuit. We play Poplar yeah. in San Mateo, which is like, if you want to feel good about your game, spray the ball around, get home, shoot in the seventies, go out to Poplar. Poplar okay. is like the confidence builder. I love that place, but we have a friend out there. My mom works at, at Lake Merced. Um, so okay. before COVID we were able to play like once a month out at Lake Merced on Mondays. Nice. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> and that place is just absolutely gorgeous, but that's few and far between. We, we go to Sharp Park. We go out uh, to the North Bay. I'll play Peacock Gap. I take a uh, Peacock Gap. I'll take my grandfather to McInnes. Uh, Glenn Eagles is obviously, I play there once a week. That's my spot. Love my mm -hmm. guy, Tom Shea. Really tried to help him out during COVID-19 because yes. he's a member of my community and that's the neighborhood that I grew up in. So that place is very near and dear to my heart. Um, but yeah, all over Metro. I still haven't played Chuck Carica, but I play Monarch from time to time. I'll go to okay. Hayward Hills or Mission Hills, depending on which, which one of the courses that you're playing. Obviously just went down to Pasatiempo a couple of months ago. That was absolutely awesome. Spectacular. But my favorite place in the world if i'm being honest it's two places my brother lives on half moon bay so i love playing the ocean course at half moon bay like that is that's one of my favorite places in the world. i love links golf it's yep. awesome down there he loves the old course i prefer the ocean course and my favorite ultimate place in the world if i'm gonna die today sprinkle my ashes there it's northwood up in monterio i absolutely love that place Vern. Gaylord, the entire crew up there, his boys. Like, I just love that place so much. And during COVID-19, that was the place that I was playing there in Sea Ranch because yeah. you couldn't play anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, having just uh, played Northwood on uh, Saturday, I got to tell you, I, every time I'm in Sonoma County, I make an effort to go out and see my guy, Vern. And mm -hmm. it, the one little, you know, the one thing I don't want people to sleep on out at Northwood is, man, they, they may just have the best Bloody Marys in Sonoma County. That, that restaurant and that bar is maybe my favorite place to eat and drink in the entire like region it's, it's just the absolute best we um, have a family tournament up there every single year we have a green jacket and a big piece of redwood that my dad etches a, the name of the champion in there because me and all my cousins play and every year we get to the you know after 18 holes we play it twice we sit out there on the patio my dad calculates all the scores based on handicap we have like a point system if you will and we're just sitting there waiting talking smack to each other eating food it's my favorite thing in the world like i love that place so, so much awesome. i love giving everybody grief when they're hitting their first t-shirt you know what I mean? You got a whole crew of, of bandits up there just oh, talking the smack. I mean, just, it really is. And then the glass, the glass looking out onto the course. If I take my grandma or somebody out there to eat dinner, I just look out as the sun's coming down. It's just awesome. They let you run the dogs around up there on the e uh, early evening. I take my nephews out there and they can just hack it around. It's, it really is like, honestly, that place was touched by God and God being Alistair McKenzie, but God, I mean, God created that, that course. Yeah. I did. So do you, are you happy that, you know, the rest of uh, social media has finally like discovered 
how awesome this place is that you and I have been playing for most of our lives? Or are you almost kind of like, ah, I kind of wish it was still a secret just for us? I, well, you know, I, the thing that bothers me is that, you know, the Russian River is so near and dear to my heart. It's been hit so hard with floods and the devastation that I just think that people, they, they touch down like, oh, they should do this, 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 and this. And it would be, oh, it would be incredible. It's like, do you understand the plight of the small business? Do you have any idea how difficult it is to operate before COVID-19 and now to operate with COVID-19 and dealing with floods every four to seven years like it's really really difficult and yeah during the summer it can get really really busy but in the winter it's empty it's absolutely empty. empty and they have a skeleton crew it's easy to say yeah invest a million and do this it's not your money like i don't know i'm up there all the time and those guys love me and, and they treat me so well i mean like if i want to sneak on get on there boom hey joe no problem we'll get you on with this group let's get you in front of these guys go off a of six so you can get in front of these old ladies so you don't you don't get slowed up like they always have treated me well but it's right. a place where i always go and i buy a polo i buy this i buy that because i know those little things really do matter to them you know and like so. a lot of people don't i don't think they understand how difficult it is to operate a business in that part of northern california given the economics and the and the dynamics in that area you know what i mean like and 100%. that part hurts me when i see people saying they should do this that's like you don't think they don't think about that 24 7 yeah it's uh man it, it's such a special place that uh yeah Wintertime. I, I will try to go out there as much as possible in wintertime. And really, you know, like I said, Gaylord, his son, Trevor, you know, Vern, oh. everybody out there, especially the girls that work in the bar too. Like the, the best, the, the golf course is not only the best that, that I know of in the North Bay area, but the people are also the best too. It's just, a, it's just a no great question. spot altogether. It sounds like we got a, a day to North where we got to make it pretty soon, brother. Absolutely. Well, the characters, that's what I always say. The characters yes. and my family are some of the characters out there yes. and the characters. You guys fit in perfectly well. And the characters of the green, the greens are unreal. I love those greens. I don't care what anyone says. The best greens. I, there is no easy putt out there. Like every birdie earned is an unbelievable birdie. I don't care yeah. what anyone says. Yeah. And it's a short course. And hey, man, I, I, I was, people always ask me, is it really that good? I'm like, well, let's just put it this way. If there were nine more holes out there of like the same quality, even though it would be like 6,000 yards, I don't think you'd have a single person saying that's not one of the best golf courses in the country. I, 100%. Look, people that don't know anything about golf architecture at all, every single one of my friends that's just casually a golf fan says the same thing. I don't know what it is, but I freaking love this place. This is my favorite place in the world. It's so peaceful, so serene. Mornings, afternoons, evenings. Every time you go out there, you just go, God, I love Northwood. Like, I absolutely love this place. And the more I've learned all the architecture, and I've really, because I'm a Googler. I just Google everything. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I try to learn as much as I can. The more I realize what its connection is to obviously back in Scotland and Alistair McKenzie and Bobby Jones and all the different connection threads that it has, it's, it is a sacred place and it's been touched by God and we're lucky that it's still around. Yeah. It's, it's just incredible, man. I, I could, you already have me Jones and to get back out there, Joe. I'm, I'm ready to go, man. So, all right. With that, Joe, I, I've kept you for way too long, brother. I really appreciate you taking all the time to talk off of me. I'm getting pumped for this tournament next weekend, brother. I I, I, it's going to be really, really fun. And who knows, you know, Hopefully we get a chance to uh, enjoy a round of golf together even before or after or whatnot. But uh, I know Absolutely. I'll be watching. I know you'll be watching. It's going to be a great time, brother. I, honestly, Kyle, you're the best. I look forward to the iTunes every single week when I get that golf guide thing hitting right into my feed. I'm like, yes, let's do this. Hey, we're going to have a great week next week, but let's keep in touch. I mean that sincerely, all right, Absolutely. my friend? Absolutely. Sounds good, brother. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time, man. We'll look forward to this tournament next week. And until next time, you take care, brother. You too. All right. And once again, a big Big thank you to Joe 
Um, man, I, I have so much fun when I talk to Joe Shasky. They get, <laughs> I'm a little uh, I'm a little jealous of his co-host Ryan Covey on 95.7 The Game that he gets to actually talk sports with Joe five days a week. Absolutely incredible. So anyway, thank you again to Joe. And uh, thank you again to our wonderful sponsors today, golfguide.net, and especially the fine, fine folks at the Sea Winds Estate. Again, like I mentioned at the top, a 7,000-square-foot coastal chateau hanging over the cliffs looking out onto the Pacific Ocean. It's just 10 miles north of the Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. So whether you're actually going to Bandon Dunes or you're just trying to find a place to shack up to maybe get around in there and go sample all the other great golf that the Oregon Coast has to offer, well, there's not a better place to call home during that kind of a trip than the Sea Winds Estate. That's Sea Winds with an S on the end, estate.com. Go ahead and check them out. And uh, availability, I mean, you know, understandably is, uh, is, is not great. Uh, the next couple of months, it looks like most of their weekends are booked kind of throughout the summer and the fall, but it looks like they've got a lot of availability um, in the winter months and especially into 2021. And who knows, hopefully by 2021, we will actually be able to get out and recreate and spend time with uh, with friends and loved ones again. And if that is the case, whenever that may be, the Sea Winds Estate is going to be a money spot to get together and congregate uh, in between rounds of golf. So check it out, seawindsestate.com. That's it, everybody. I hope you guys have a wonderful week, a wonderful weekend. I hope you guys are looking forward to this super fantastic golf tournament that we're going to have on our hands here in California next weekend with the 2020 PGA Championship at Harding Park. I am looking forward to it. Joe is looking forward to it, and I hope you guys are looking forward to it. Uh, So until next time, adios, my friends.